Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday just after 7.40 in the morning Eastern time here at JM in the AM. Mr. Holmline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Thank you. Good to be with you. Appreciate that. Last week it became known that you were in Guatemala. You could imagine my and many listeners' curiosities about the Jewish presence and the relationship with Israel uh, in that country. What could you tell us about your recent journey? Well, I was on two recent journeys. Uh, the first, uh, the week before, we went to Greece, Cyprus, and Israel as part of the effort to build a Mediterranean initiative to link it, it, the three countries as a core for that. And to where we met the presidents, the heads of the military, the ministers of defense, foreign ministers, uh, prime ministers in each of the countries. And the uh, we, we actually did four countries in four days, so mm-hmm. anybody who thinks that's easy. <laughs> but the the potential, the, with the energy linkages, with the security linkages, with the, uh, the and to take Israel out of the Middle East and put it in the Mediterranean, which is a much more stable basin. And we have many countries, maybe a dozen already, that have indicated that they want to be part of it. Right now it's informal. I think it's preferable to stay that way. But it's uh, the potential and the support that we heard in Greece and, and in Cyprus for, for Israel, for the relationship, the joint exercises that you read little about, but that are really quite remarkable, with some of them even having Arab country participation. And the, uh, so that was that week. And then the following is, is, week. Is Jerusalem happy with the way it went? Did you hear back? Excellent. Great. Okay. And we met President Rivlin and others, uh, we, and we go together with the leaders of the Greek-American organizations. And, uh, you know, they are responsible for the program in, the, in Greece and Cyprus, and we, for the program in, in Israel, we partner with B'nai B'rith in this. Nice. Then, last week, I went to Guatemala, <laughs> and to Guatemala City, uh, for, I guess, about 12 hours, 14 hours on the ground, uh, because I wanted to get back for Shabbos, but the the purpose was to encourage, to thank, to recognize what the President Jimmy Morales has done to uh, in recognizing Jerusalem being number two after the United States to do so, and to announce that he's going to move his embassy. And he is a religious Christian who um, uh, really believes in in the importance of doing it. He recognizes the significance. He's facing threats and uh, boycotts and punishments from Arab League and other uh, Palestinians and others, and he, uh, we felt it was necessary, and this, which spiraled out of an effort by an individual uh, in, in um, I think, in Boca, um, which started with the, the two rabbis, uh, Leonid Feldman and Rabbi Shiner from the uh, Palm Beach Synagogue, uh, and and brought along a delegation of their members, uh, the Christian uh, Latina Fuente, which is a pro-Israel Latina organization, Latinos uh, uh, in, in South Florida, but everywhere across the country. Uh, and so a delegation of them came, and uh, and a delegation of, uh, of Jewish leaderships, participants from Jewish uh, leadership and um I had the privilege to speak before the president, and then we had a private meetings with him that went very long. <coughs> and he was so responsive, and the the Secretary of State clearly very receptive. Vice President was there. The whole cabinet actually came to to a kosher dinner we had <laughs> in the palace 
of culture, which is where the president has office. And, uh, you know, for a small community of less than 1,000 people, this was an immense boost. But it was a, a message to him, and it's a message that all of us have to reinforce with them, with Honduras, with other countries that are talking about moving their embassy. Businessmen who do business there should, should or uh, are ready, who should make sure it's known how much they support this, or others who could do business there to show them that we, you know, there's a reward. Right. And uh, uh, so that was my sojourn list. And the, uh, so now you've been to two countries that have announced that they're moving their embassy from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Um, has Guatemala been any more specific than the U.S. has been in terms of timetable or how practically they're going to move it? Well, he has a year and a half left his term, so hopefully it'll be done in that time. And the uh, he, he is very committed to doing it as soon as possible. Uh, I think that the, the legal processes of the government haven't taken place yet, but it's a, I'm sure it's a question of resources and, and availability, but you know, they don't need big embassies. Most of these places will be two, three people right. um, to handle the, their representational yeah. <laughs> needs. And BB, the prime minister, called President Morales uh, about it, and uh, so have others. So they feel very good about it. I mean, after all, how large is the embassy staff right now from Guatemala? I would expect that it wouldn't be that large, frankly. So. Right, it's very right. small. Yeah. Um, all right, speaking of the embassy move, a lot of things have happened in the last couple of weeks. One of the most impressive and inspirational, frankly, was the visit of Vice President Pence to Jerusalem. The address was, I thought, remarkable. Uh, the symbolism, the visit to the Kotel, et cetera, et cetera, and everything he did on the trip, I thought, was was exceptional. Would love to hear your review of the trip and specifically what your thoughts were when he announced that this embassy is going to be moved sooner than we thought. Well, first of all, I think people... I don't appreciate enough how uh, what a great friend Pence is of the Jewish community of so Israel. True, so has true. always been. Yep. And he has um, a staff that reflects that. And that's often an important thing because his saying, the Shechianu in Hebrew, oh. Oh. I thought was uh, such a sincere gesture on oh. his part. Amazing. And clearly he had to have advisors who could help teach him how to do the chuh. <laughs> but he... Uh, <laughs> No, but the fact that he made the effort to do it in Hebrew to to say that message in the Knesset, the whole message in the Knesset, which was uh, really a remarkable uh, expression of uh, the U.S.-Israel special relationship and support, unapologetic. He went to the hotel, as he said, on a private visit, but I know people who were there. I'd been invited, but I, I couldn't go back again uh, in time. It said that it was uh, it was very moving to to see him and his actions there. And uh, uh, overall, the the uh, refreshing expression of support that that one saw from this, as as with the president when he visited Israel uh, a couple of months ago. Yeah. So I think his speech was profound. The announcement and setting a deadline of 2019 uh, makes it more concrete, right. and 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 sends a message that they're not going to be intimidated by the threats. And that uh, Abbas can walk away from from the table, and I think the message the president gave him is: you walk away, you're going to pay a price for it. Right. Instead of trying to cajole and to to apologize, and they did that too. They they try to bring him back to the table, but I think his message, as as the president's message during his speech about those countries that uh, voted against the United States on the Jerusalem issue in the UN, 
I better reconsider and better check, look at their checkbooks because there are going to be some checks bouncing for them to take a stand against the United States. Yeah, and no, and no. this is an important message. And you see in the Arab world, uh, Nahum, that all of these measures, the announcement, all that got minimal, minimal reaction, even amongst the Palestinians and the demonstrations and all the stuff that they had predicted. Because people are getting tired of it. People are beginning to say, you know what, this is ridiculous. And you see even articles coming from Arab and Muslim sources saying, you know what, you got to recognize that this is the Jews were there. The Jews were there before us. Right. You know, it's interesting. Daniel Luria was with us this week in Jerusalem, and he spoke about 30-plus episodes that have happened since the original Trump announcement in the Yemenite village and surrounding areas. But the, the interesting or the flip side to that is, again, uh, and not to minimize those types of attacks and, and, you know, what some might call minor incidents, but but that's what's happening. The full-scale stuff that everybody expected ain't happening at this point. And it's a very important point to keep in and mind. And you have to know the statistics of how many would occur in a normal week right? to know what is the increase. Uh, I have no doubt that it, some people were inspired to do stuff or or incited to right. do stuff. But there's a lot of incitement going on, and for that, the reaction is still limited. Yeah, minimal. All right, uh, I want to do the Abbas thing in a second, but first, I, I can't let this pass without some comment from you. Uh, we know that when you're living through history, it is very difficult to see the forest from the trees. I mean, it's a message that frustrates you, I'm sure, all the time, as it does many others, including myself. Pence is there, speaking like nobody else has ever spoken in the Knesset, you know, and I say that in a very loose fashion. I know there, we've had some leadership that, you know, has in fact quoted Tanakh and has in fact demonstrated real religious Zionism from the Knesset podium. But unfortunately, if you look at the Knesset collectively, it's rare. And, and yet, I don't know, I don't get the feeling that world jury, you know, understands the magnitude of it. It, it, it understands the history that we're living through and how this arguably the second most powerful person in the world is making these types of statements and citing, and we had our very own Mayor Weingarten provide for us sources from Tanakh, from Bereshis till the end of everything that he had quoted. And the entire thing is, is as if it's a Tanakh lesson. And, and just a word from you about waking people up in our community to understand how significant this is historically. Yes, it is. It is sad that the, the politicization that's taking place so that, that no matter what, administration does or and they can be criticized on a lot of grounds but the, the to to recognize hakar satov is such a central concept in judaism <clears throat> that not to take the opportunity which is why i went to guatemala right it was not a vacation trip uh to, to spend a few hours there uh, uh but 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 the, the fact that that we've allowed this to color everything that happens and to dismiss significant uh, measures that are are sympathetic and 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 supportive. I mean, it hurts us yeah. ourselves when we do that. And I would bet, and not that I have any inside information, but you've said this about previous administrations, just in terms of hearing about Jerusalem. You know, as simple an issue as that. I would bet there has to be some frustration in Washington that there is not a greater celebratory reaction to all of the things that Trump and Pence are doing for Jerusalem and Israel. There just there has to you must be hearing from people in the administration that there's not enough noise about this. We do hear it, and but <clears throat> there were a lot of positive responses as well. But yes, we do hear from them, and they they're baffled by sometimes the reactions in the community. And that's why I say it's important for people to separate. You can 
criticize every administration. You know, people overlooked many things with President Obama and and, and applauded everything. And we applaud when they do the right thing. You applaud them when you think there's something wrong. You, you express that as well. But the balance just seems to be lost, and and everything is demonized when they do something good. And when we see uh, the kinds of expressions that we we heard. Um, there has to be a positive reaction to show, to encourage it, to encourage others, to show that there's a reward for it. the members of the Senate, for Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives, all, all alike. If they say, look, there's no upside, then what's the point? Look, I understand the uh, full page ads that are being taken in, 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 in national and international um, uh, newspapers. I get it. And there are a lot of very important issues when it comes to Israel and BDS, et cetera, et cetera. But how those same organizations, how those same funders have not felt that it's important to put full-page ads in thanking Trump and Pence for these specific issues is baffling to me. Anyway, it's America. I'm not a big fan of newspaper ads. Right, I get that. But if you're going to do them, but if you're going to do them, this is a pretty good topic to focus on, right? America's one and only Jewish moments in the morning radio program heard on listener-sponsored digital radio around the world and the web at NahumSiegel.com on the NahumSiegel Network and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Malcolm Honline, Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He is with us, as we uh, explained earlier. Uh, challenging schedule for him in February. Pay careful attention to us all through the week. We'll let you know when to expect Malcolm on a Friday here at JM in the AM. Also a reminder, Kosher Halftime Show goes live 8 p.m. Eastern Time this coming Sunday night during halftime of the big game. It's our fifth annual one done in Israel, as you've been hearing all week long. So make sure to be tuned in, share it, enjoy it, spread it around. I told you I wanted to speak about Mahmoud Abbas. He made some, what many would call outrageous statements. In fact, the statements that prompted a response from Ambassador Nikki Haley. She, quote, called them outrageous and discredited conspiracy theories, is he going to, quote, unquote, pay for these comments? Look, somehow he's a Teflon guy that um, maybe because of his age, you know, being thir- the 13th year of his four-year term, <laughs> um, his uh, outrageous incitement. But this speech really reached a new high, or I should say a new low, um, because he had anti-Semitic tropes, he had anti-American statements, he attacked everybody. He went on rambling for two and a half hours in his speech to the Legislative Council, and it was truly outrageous, and in, in, uh, the incitement in it. Uh, so I think it woke a lot of people up to, to the reality that this guy has no interest in peace. This is... Uh, uh, he. he uh, you know, wrote his doctoral thesis on Holocaust denial, and the feeling is he was reverting back. And the so the speech, I think, did him a lot of harm. Uh, you know, it's fodder to some of the people there, but even many Palestinians, they know that it's not productive. They see it's counterproductive that they're losing the aid, they're losing the support. They have all sorts of problems. I mean, why doesn't he address the fact that that 41% of the people released in the Gilad Shalit deal, uh, over 400 of the 1,000-plus people, are recidivists, are back being terrorists in in Gaza, took over Hamas, of leading terrorism in the West Bank. Where's his leadership? You know, they they, they make a concession, you release guys, and already since then, uh, more than 40% are back at... at, um, at terrorism, and the you know, there's so many things that one could cite about what is happening there, and uh, let alone the situation in Gaza. 
And the there's no leadership. He's not. He doesn't want to do anything. He doesn't want to make decisions. He wants everything given to him, which is why we oppose what Slovenia is doing in in terms of uh, saying that they will recognize a Palestinian state that only rewards him and encourages him to be more intransigent because he sees he gets what he wants uh, without having to do anything. And the you know the, the given all of the developments in the region right now. And you see the loss of support amongst other groups. Um, the, uh, the important action, by the way, the United States took in designating Ismail Khania, the Hamas political boss, so-called political, uh, as a designated global terrorist and, and other groups that are operating in Gaza, Egypt, etc., and threatening both countries, uh, Israel and Egypt, as well as the region as a whole, uh, designating them as uh, terrorist entities. And yet you see... No action being taken, really. And the daily cooperation on a security level continues between the PA and Israel, and it's very important. Yeah. Uh, and if you look at the number of incidents that uh, the Israelis prevented, it's it's astonishing. Yeah, that we get. I'm having trouble, as I'm sure so many others are, on this topic, um, understanding the exact financial uh, penalties that, that either have been or can be levied against Abbas and the PA. Uh, we read about the uh, uh, the uh, Washington trying to hold back the uh, United Nations Palestinian Refugee Agency Fund, but aren't there so many different um, uh, venues, so many different um, uh, pipelines of money being delivered from the United States to the PA uh, that it, it's just hard to keep track of? If they are in fact canceling one payment, they're getting. It seems like they're getting plenty of money from other sources. Well, they're not getting more money. They're not uh, taking money from one pot and putting it in the other. They are cutting off and reducing the amount of money overall that we are, are giving them. And the, um, you know, the the funds, whether it's through UNRWA or through other sources, what, what money we generally give goes for specific projects. It's money that uh, is traced and, and the aid is uh, is supposed to be followed. And uh, But cutting them back... On the overall aid package, and now we have the, we still have legislation to sanction them, right. including the Taylor Force uh, Act. So th- these things will will reduce significantly the amount of money. It's true that much more was going to them than people generally knew, but we're seeing uh, increasingly that uh, these sources are being targeted. But my question is, and maybe this is obvious, especially to someone like yourself, But and the word I was looking for was pipelines, but it, it seems like each pipeline, each each direction, you know, each, each funnel, <laughs> each method of giving them money has its own separate rules of how to, uh, of how to supervise them. You know, does Washington have the power by itself to, to negate those funds? They need permission of the UN. They need permission of Congress. Am I right that each pipeline has its own rules and regulations? Well, to some degree, but but the United States has the ability to cut off our portion of the funds from UNRWA. We, we don't cut off all the funding coming from that. But and we that could be without congressional support? UN agencies. And that is a decision the president can make. It's a decision that the, some of these things do have to go to Congress, some of the uh-huh. sanctions. But Yes, we can do it unilaterally. Right, understood. Um, what did you think of the president's State of the Union address? Uh, not much about the um, uh, about Israel in the Middle East, outside of general statements about um, uh, the Iran deal, which he still doesn't like. I don't understand why he continues to uh, 
Uh, what's the word? Reaffirm it? Reinforce it? What's the word? It should, it should... Yeah, but he, he, he's, he has made clear that uh, this is the last hundred, he's given the 120-day period since the time he signed it. So that'll end Congress the, and that'll the international end... community to come up with improvements. That'll end around the... when? Like, what? when is that deadline? Around when? It's the, about three and a half months. Okay. I think it's it's April. Middle of 2018. In the first, no, in the spring. Okay. In the, in the beginning of uh, so, if it's, so, so it's not readjusted by then. It's He's four not... months since the December deadline. Got so it. So whatever if, that is. So if he January, February, March. So if he's not, um, if he's not, if he's not satisfied at that point with adjustments, etc., he still will not sign. He, he, then he for sure will not sign on to continue it. Right, but he has to see, and you see already the Europeans are taking seriously his threats to 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 do it, and nobody wants to. They do not want to see the JCPOA collapse. What's an example of that? That Iran can break out. What's but, what's an example of your of, of Europe backing down a bit? I mean, which country or leader has has indicated that? So Britain, France, and Germany are now negotiating various additional sanctions related to the missile program to Iran's aggressiveness, wow. not to touch. The, they're trying to avoid touching the JCPOA because they don't want to give Iran. The right to get out of it, which I think is is much less of a threat than they than they make of it. But the fact is that they are talking about uh, additional sanctions. The United States has and continues to impose uh, new sanctions uh, on entities dealing with Iran and with Iranian offshoots, like we did with uh, Hezbollah elements. And and by the way, when you look at the impact, is this a tremendous story about? Iran uh, transferring $4 billion, a billion, from the National Development Fund to use in their b- proposed budget for this year, which for them is 1397, uh, and it starts in March. And they took this money, and more than half of it, $2.5 billion, is going for military expenditures, money that was supposed to go to pay off their teachers, money they owe them for their pensions of a billion dollars, and other expenditures for disaster relief. So the vast majority of it, which shows that they do not have the cash to cover the, the full budget. And uh, I think that uh, companies are increasingly wary, again, of, of signing final deals, of knowing that they, they may risk not being able to do business with the United States. Uh, and, um, you know, the, the expansionism by Iran, they're building new bases, them and Turkey, uh, all over the region. And, the uh, of course, the efforts to undermine uh, governments in the region. This is... Um, uh, the, the one thing that we have seen is that they've stopped the harassment of our ships in the in the Gulf for mm. the last few months. We don't know exactly why. You know, they had those fast boats that used to go in and out, and they they, they carry uh, rocket launchers well, and fifty caliber guns. Well, could it be that we're talking a little bit tougher than in the past? Yes, and maybe they fear that that uh, with this administration, if they right. if there's an incident, <clears throat> that that could be a license to uh, for for the administration to take much more much harsher action. Uh, against them. Um, By the way, yeah, yeah I'm sorry. Got, no, no, I was no. going to say, but it yeah. hasn't inhibited their efforts. We see what they're doing in Lebanon, uh, where Hezbollah has essentially taken over the country, and now they say it's one big Iranian missile factory, uh, Lebanon, and, and all the missile rooms in people's homes, but then building uh, precision missile factories, meaning that they will have guidance systems that could be attached to their longer-range missiles, uh, which are aimed at Israel's population centers. So instead of hitting 100 meters from a place, they will hit 5 to 20 meters from the place. Got it. Listener Sima and others who are tuned in, who are connected to the Iranian Jewish community, have asked me to ask you what the latest is regarding the protests and demonstrations in Iran. What do you hear? 
There were demonstrations in the last week in, in about a dozen cities. They don't get much uh, notice anymore, and because reporters are very restricted there, uh, they're not getting out. But the, the impact, I think, is a long-term one, and that's why I mentioned about the money, uh, because they're not sending money into the rural areas where, the, where there's a, a, a dire need. The deputy minister of the environment yesterday said that we have to admit we have uh, 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 we are water bankrupt. Water bankrupt. I mean, to make a public statement like that, to say that they don't have water in their areas of Baluchitsan and others that are already in such a severe drought and there's no water, uh, it shows that the economic conditions, while they can tout all the deals they sign, mostly on energy, but on buying cars and planes and stuff, this is not helping the people. This is not benefiting the people. Right. They know it. And they're getting tired of it. The women protesting against uh, head coverings, etc. Are they being arrested? Are they being physically assaulted? Are they are they able to get away with these protests? No, people are being arrested. Journalists are being arrested. Others, if you you publish the truth about a lot of these stories, um, they do. They are subject to arrest. But people are very there are very courageous people there. Yeah, that's for sure. And um, uh, you just mentioned something else about Iran that I wanted to comment about. Uh, but I don't remember. Okay, uh, let's move on. The uh, the, the uh, on can you imagine uh, on the um, on the Shabbat that I have a a child of ours in Poland. I get to ask you about this uh, Poland Holocaust law a bill passed by the country's Senate Thursday, less than a week after the lower chamber did the same. Has been described in vastly varying terms. Though the terms of the bill itself bans and are quite clear, it would be illegal and punishable by up to three years in prison to claim Poland was complicit in the Nazi atrocities committed on Polish soil during World War II. Your thoughts? So the the initial reaction was about saying that uh, Auschwitz and others were Polish concentration camps, and they're saying, no, these were Nazi concentration camps that they imposed on Poland. To deny history, to deny the complicity that there was, you know, uh, there were many, many Poles, like Ukrainians and others, who were who who aided and abetted and often took over for the Nazis in in extermination efforts. It's a fact. There were also many who saved Jews. Right. It's a fact. But this law, the fear of this law, is that it starts limiting what people can say. And if you're going to deny the truth, then you endanger yourselves in the future. To confront the truth, to say, look, this happened. This is a reality. There's a, a, a positive side to those who, who put their lives on the line. Many pay, paid with their lives. Uh, and at the same time, there were those who collaborated. And this is, it's a mistake the, to, to fall into this trap uh, to say and you, that you criminalize it. You can say people shouldn't say it. I know that guides and that we had uh, would yeah, always what talk a, about, what about the victims, the Polish victims, the Polish victims of the Holocaust. Um, never talking about the fact that uh, that there were Poles who who ate and abetted it even after the war, Kilcha and other places. So it, it, that is why this evokes uh, the reaction that it does. I mean, can a can a lecturer can, can a professor go into Poland and give a public lecture about the complicit behavior of Poles during World War Two? Well, that's the question, and and how far it goes, and how much of this is subject to interpretation, and. If, uh, you know, we have annually at the March of the Living, we have seminars, we're doing one this year, where these things will come up. And does that, to criminalize it, is is really an outrageous act. And it's, it, it's the distortion 
of history that's implicit in it that is the trouble. We understand their sensitivity and and the fact that they were Nazi concentration camps, but that doesn't mean that you can't at least examine the total picture and tell the truth about it. And now back to what I had forgotten earlier. You mentioned the water situation with Iran. How many countries are going through this water shortage? It's like it seems to be it's, it's the shortage seems to be spreading. We read about Cape Town, South Africa, but uh, are, are there many others that are going through the same situation? There are other places. Uh, I, I'm not really an expert on water. No, I understand, but I'm just every every sewage, day. But but no, I understand. But every day it seems like this, this is which is a serious problem, right? Water is a serious problem. I didn't realize it's as widespread as you just described. It is in in well, there are areas where there have been severe droughts. There always are in Africa and other places. Right. And that's why what Israel has done on desalination is so important and such a... And if Iran uh, would wake up and, and realize how much they stand to benefit from, from Israel, um, but there's no... You know, the, the, the ideology trumps all. I mean... And their, and their aspirations for hegemony in the region. Oh, that's how I... much money they're spending on that instead of spending it on desalination and other efforts to, to bring water to starving people. Oh, that I get. But, uh, I mean, the free in Cape Town, for instance, is Israel going to jump into the rescue somehow? Like, is there... Is there a... They have to want them to. Are they... What did Israel do? Of course, Israel... Will... South Africa? No, no, South, Africa. South Africa's relations with Israel are not good. I didn't even realize that. No, it's terrible, in fact. South African relations with Israel are terrible. Sure. They're very anti-Israel. There are leaders in the UN against Israel. They, the government of Zuma, uh, he himself, uh, very troubling. Wow. Good news or bad news that the CC, it looks like, has no opponent in his upcoming election? Well, for public perceptions, it's probably not so great, but uh, I mean, certainly we would want to see him reelected. He's uh, with whatever failings that people try to point out, he's done remarkable things. He's facing immense challenges, and most of all, he's really secured his relationship with Israel. How, with those immense challenges, which I'm glad you just reconfirmed, that's what I thought. How does he run unopposed? You think somebody would try to walk into that open space? Yeah, but sometimes they get arrested. <laughs> sometimes you know they're dissuaded. Maybe yet there will be. We'll see. Were there real Syrian peace talks in Russia this week? How would you classify the show that went on there? First of all, it was inconclusive, and uh, there are talks going on in, in Astana and others, uh, these, these negotiations. Um, but so far what we're seeing is a breakdown of the order in Syria with the tens of thousands of militia that Iran has there. Iran announced that they're going to pull their military advisor corps out of Iran when the out of Syria when the when the defeat of uh, once they've achieved the defeat of terrorism which is never and uh, we see the expansion of Turkey's role we see there are 29 foreign bases in Syria today and the uh, um, so Iran is is looking to expand its role there Russia of course protecting its interests there Everybody is doing stuff. You have the Turks crossing the borders, going deeper and deeper into uh, into Syria. So I don't see any any uh, progress. The, the the one thing that is disturbing, obviously, is the expanding role, the the import of weapons by Iran, and especially to Lebanon through through Syria and from Syria, uh, more and more sophisticated weapons uh, getting there, and they're building uh, missile production uh, facilities. 
uh, in Lebanon now, as they try to do in in uh, Syria. The, um, the reports that there are chemical weapons again being produced in Syria. All of these are are of great concern, and uh, obviously the, uh, there's a high alert along the border, constant state of alert uh, along the border with Syria and with Lebanon. Uh, so, you know, we we have to continue to press and and to get people to understand what the danger is. That today the Lebanese army and the Hezbollah are one. It's not like the last time, and the the dominance of Hezbollah in in Syria, in the Lebanon is very clear, even if I'm sure there are many people there who are very uncomfortable with it, don't like it, don't want to see it happen. Right. All right, two more, and I know that these don't deserve to be quick things, but I have no choice, but i got to get to them. Uh, first of all, this story about the uh, the United Nations examination of 206 companies with their links to Israeli settlements. Uh, what do you think of the chutzpah of the UN on this one? The ultimate chutzpah, and this is the Human Rights Council yet, right. so-called, headed by somebody who used to be very friendly, and I don't know what happened to him, uh, cousin of the King of Jordan. Um, so the what, what we're talking about is a blacklist of, of these companies. They did publish their report, but what's interesting, they did not publish the blacklist this week when they and when it came out yesterday, I think the day before yesterday. Um, it, it is simply an outrageous thing that only supports BDS, that, that further identifies the UN with uh, anti, as an anti-Israel entity. I think Dickie Haley came out appropriately and strongly against it, recognizing it. And instead of focusing on the real issues, the real challenges, and, and the implications are serious because if a bank, a major bank, has a, an office right. in the West Bank, they will become subject to these to these. Uh, Sanctions or whatever that they will be. I, I I don't believe in the end that they will mount to much, and Israel will not do it. You know, a thousand doctors, scientists, and rescue workers came from thirty five countries to Israel last week. That nobody talks about. Where Israel is training them and how to deal with mass terror attacks. They 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 had a simulated attack at a soccer stadium and all of this. You know, every day there are things going on like this that that never get. A moment's attention or recognition from the United Nations and its agencies. And yet here you have the Human Rights Council obsessed with Israel, not dealing with all the massive violations of human rights. Just look what Turkey, what what uh, Iran are doing to their citizens in terms of, of persecution. And and, uh, and yet there, there's never uh, a resolution and never any address of it. No question about it. Finally, what do you think when you saw the Jerusalem Post report about the uh, increase of white supremacy groups anti-Semitic groups of that nature on the United States college campuses? Well, it's something we have seen, that the growth of anti-Semitism or anti-Semitic expressions, but often they're not even identified, they're not so much anti-Jewish, which they are, but against other groups, against the immigration issue and other things that we've seen being stoked, and people should not ever dismiss what happens, whether in high schools or campuses, uh, because and say, well, it's excesses of youth, you're training generation, the next generation, in hate. And it's got to be addressed, and it's one of the reasons why within the community we have to have unity and working together to address uh, all of these challenges and at the same time to be able to build coalitions with others. And we should take note of the remarkable thing that Dr. Alisa, head of the World Muslim League, did this week in writing to the head of the U.S. Holocaust Memorial Council. I met Dr. Alisa a few months ago here in, in New York, it was very impressive. Uh, we had a 
very frank and tough discussion, I would say, an intense discussion. And he issued a statement which was the most incredible denunciation of Holocaust denial about saying how un-Islamic it is. And anybody who does that, I mean, it's just dismissive of them in a long statement that people should read. And it reminds us of the Muslims who do students did stand up during World War II uh, and saved hundreds of thousands of Jewish lives in Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Azerbaijan, other countries. Um, but the 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 fact that we have homegrown haters, it's not just abroad. Uh, we should be uh, always aware, and that's why we press about security uh, preparations and precautions uh, by our, our in our communities and in our institutions. It's, um, you know, this is not something that's going to go away, and you can't wish it away. You've got to really confront it, be honest about it, not exaggerate it, uh, and not panic people about it. But on the other hand, to, to know that we have a lot of divisiveness in American society today that is troubling. You see radicalization processes going on uh, everywhere. And um, you see in Britain today the efforts now to address Hezbollah and to declare whether to declare it a... a you know, a terrorist organization and to sanction it, et cetera, um, and which is overwhelmingly supported by the British people who, where this would not have been the case uh, a while back, not that long ago. Right, that's for sure. So the people, I think, more and more are waking up. We have to pass the tail of force. And we have many things that, that we should do. There are measures in Congress about it. There, there are efforts in the um, Department of Education. Uh, but there are still very serious problems. Our law for project sees challenges every day about uh, on our campuses and, and elsewhere. And you have to make examples of it because you've got to set standards. And till now, that has not been the case. Malcolm, can't thank you enough. Um, we'll let everyone know what the story is with next week. Enjoy the Kosher Halftime Show and have a wonderful Shabbos. Have a great job. Malcolm Holmline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. Joins us Friday morning, 740 Eastern time here at JMNAM. And again, as I mentioned, because of the conference schedule, they always travel in the month of February. Uh, we will let you know exactly uh, as we get closer and closer to each Friday uh, when Malcolm is scheduled to join us Friday mornings here at JM in the AM.